This is episode 696 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. On today's episode, an interview with Kurt Linville of Poddivy and Weathering Coronavirus Updates and Hope. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is usually an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website. But from time to time, I interview members of the preparedness community who can bring a ton of value and information to your preparedness. Links for this podcast can be found in the show notes or on theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. Hey, this episode is sponsored by the exclusive Prepper Website email group, which allows you to communicate with other preppers right from your email. You don't have to worry about your every link, click, or word being tracked by social media. This email group resides on the same servers as Prepper Website, so you can trust it. Other benefits include members-only video, periodic webinars, and online meetups. This is a great value for $20 a year. For more information, visit PrepperWebsite.net or click the link in the show notes. Hey guys, I got to tell you, I am so happy with what's happening there. Uh, It's really a great group. Uh, Just in the email conversations that have been going on and the, the, the discussions just this last week, we had a great discussion on stock medicine, you know, medicine that you can stock. And someone that is in the group is a member of the the, uh, the medical community. And so they provided a great list of uh, over-the-counter medicines that every prepper should stock. We've been talking about debt. And, you know, there's a lot of different people that have different views on it. And that's what I love. I, I was really worried that at the beginning that I would have to, you know, provide a lot of content and, and get in there a lot myself. And I'm really glad that so many other people provide content and share information because there's so many knowledgeable people in this group. So if you are feeling like, man, I really wish I could be a part of something uh, a little bit bigger than what I feel on social media or you're tired of social media, this is the place for you. And then also uh, our online meetups are just really great. This last one (laughs) probably went a little too long. Uh, We went about two hours. Usually I I try to keep them down to about an hour, but it was just so good. Didn't want to stop the conversation. So uh, we do that every other week. So if you are looking again for a way to communicate and to connect with other preppers, this is the way to do it. All right. So moving on into this episode, um, before we jump right into it, I want to just say, hey, I really do appreciate when you provide reviews. And if you haven't done a review of the, the, the podcast, I would greatly appreciate it on whatever podcast network you you listen to. And that just helps other people find the podcast and you know receive the information that they need to be prepared. So again, thank you so much for doing that. If you haven't, I greatly would appreciate if you do it. All right, so let's move on to this episode here. Guys, I'm going to tell you this is a super long one. It's I think the longest episode that I've ever recorded was with John Haller. And I think we went two hours on that one. Um, This one is going to be over an hour and a half. So I think it's like an hour and 40 minutes total, the interview, which makes, you know, the whole episode, we'll probably get to close to two, uh, two hours with the intro and the outro, but it was just good conversation. And I don't like to end it, you know, so some uh, podcast will cut it off at a certain amount of time and then play the second half next week. And I really, I, I don't like doing that. It's like, if you start an interview, you want to hear the whole interview. And so that's why I'm leaving it this long for you. Uh, you might need to listen to it in a couple of different settings, but um, I, I think it's, it's going to be a really good one that you would want to listen to. 
So being able to stay calm and think through problems in a crisis is an important skill. One thing that this last year has done for everyone is to bring multiple crisis situations to the forefront all at the same time. Now, this was and is global. Not only is there a virus, but there are shortages, economic problems, political turmoil, and that doesn't even include the personal things that we go through every single day. It's important to make decisions based on facts and data, and it is important to get true, accurate information from the sources that you trust. This interview discusses all of that in the context of a year living through COVID. So let's jump into this interview with Kurt Linville of Poddivy and Weathering Coronavirus Updates and Hope, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. Here we go. Hey, Kurt, welcome to the Prepper Website Podcast. I'm so glad that you're here. Hey, Todd, good to be here. I, uh, I'm looking forward to the conversation today. And I just said before you hit record, I don't really have any agenda or goals for this conversation other than sharing perspective. And maybe what we talk about today can be useful for someone. I see this more as a, a public service. So anyway, I'm excited to visit with you and see what we can sort out. Sounds good. I'm all for just having that uh, laid back you know, conversation and uh, a little dialogue here. Uh, talk a little bit about COVID and, uh, you know, we're, we're a year out from it and it's still affecting lives. Uh, I was, uh, again, sharing before we, we started recording, um, this came up this week in the office uh, about, you know, all the Fauci emails and all those different kinds of things that were going on. And uh, in my school district, we are, when we go back to work on Monday, so mm. it, it's kind of crazy. On Friday, we were all wearing masks and we we're all social distancing. And then on when we go back to work, you know, all that kind of stuff is, is, uh, is changed, right? And so if, if you want to wear a mask, you're, they, you know, you can wear a mask. If you want to social distance, that's kind of up to you, but no, nobody's forcing anyone to do that. But we, you know, have been talking about all the COVID and all the, the things and the year that we had. And, and uh, we talked about how although there, things are opening up and different people have different ideas and different views, there it's, COVID was still a real thing for a lot of people. I know my, my own daughter-in-law lost her own grandfather and right. he was healthy. And there was no signs of anything. And then, you know, somebody at work was sick and then he got sick and then he died. So I think, you know, this has touched a lot of different people. So when we initially touched base, you had mentioned that you had done some research into, into COVID and, and there was something that you were doing. And so I thought it would be really great to talk about uh, where we, you know, where we've come from and everything that you have looked into this last year. So um, before we get into some of the other questions, so take this moment to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you started researching and, and looking into COVID. Sure. Um, before I start diving into that, even I would like to kind of reaffirm what you just said. Everybody knows somebody that has died and that death was attributed to COVID. And I don't want to make light of that, Todd, in any way. And our discussion today might be challenging for the way that some people are thinking about COVID. But I don't have an agenda or a drum to beat here. I'm just trying to provide information to help us all think. But I don't want anyone to think that you know we're being flippant about this. Because this is a very serious subject. COVID was real, um, is real. People were hurt. 
And I'm not trying to discount that in any way. That's not the goal. And I also want to say I'm very sorry for everyone's loss. You know, we all lost people that we love. We also lost um, finances. We lost economy. We lost a sense of maybe even how our nation works and how our world works. And I just want to acknowledge that's a big deal. And I'm not making light of that. Um, I want everyone to know that what we talk about today is done with an attitude of respect for people who did die, for all the hardship that people went through for the last 15 plus months. I mean, it's been a really tough time and uh, I'm, I'm sympathetic to that. Um, and I want everyone to know I'm a truth seeker. So I'm more interested in figuring out what's really real than I am in trying to uh, somehow promote some agenda. So all of that said, everyone, bear with us as we talk about this because it's a very sensitive subject. I just want to respect everyone in that. Um, but who am I? I was a mathematician. I graduated from college uh, several years ago <laughs> with a, a math degree. And I used that to become an engineer for the 20, last 26 years. I was a RF engineer, so the wireless industry. But I'm also, like I said, a, a truth seeker. And so people kind of have a feel for where I came from. I grew up on a farm. And growing up on the farm in that time, everybody practiced what I would call prepper skills. But it wasn't for prepping. It was just everyday life right? People wanted to be self-reliant. People wanted to be prepared. They wanted to know what was going on and they wanted to be able to respond to whatever life threw at them. And so that's kind of my mindset is, you know, we should think for ourselves. We should be prepared to manage crises on our own and not just for ourselves and our families, but for other people around us. And so that's kind of my bias right there is that I'm, I'm, I'm not a follower so much as I am a seeker, if that makes sense. Definitely. Yeah. And I, I love what you're saying there because I'm starting to get to the point where and I've been doing this for a while. You know, I've, I've been, I've run prepper websites since 2011 and I really, sometimes I kick myself for using the domain prepper website. Uh, mm. it, it's been, it's been really great to me. Um, during during times where people have searched for preppers, I mean, it was number one for many, many years. Uh, I think part of the reason why it's not up there right now is because I haven't done the things that I need to do as far as, uh, you know, SEO and uh, bow to Google and all those different kinds of things. Right. I, I really hurt myself or hurt the website because uh, I do link to a lot of um, alternative news. And I do have, uh, I do link to a, a bunch of different preparedness websites and different websites like that. But um, I, I really get to the point where the word prepper is like, man, I wish we could just, <laughs> that. because it, 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 it really is just everyday stuff. You know, it's common yeah, it sense and it just, it just kind of drives me nuts. And so that I, I can get, I can get on my soapbox and talk about that for a while. Um, I've even thought about moving the whole website to a, a whole nother domain that maybe talked about, you know, self-reliance or, or whatever, but uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things. It's just real life and it, it's not, Hey, just stocking up for two weeks and, and, and we're, we're there. Although some people do that and definitely down here on the Gulf coast, we were, we're getting into hurricane season. That's a mm. real deal for us, but it really is a way of thinking a lifestyle. You know, um, I was mentioning to you this morning, you know, before we started recording, 
I was headed to the grocery store. And as I was walking out, I, I saw some water coming out of my, my garage, you know, and I'm like, okay, what, what is that? You know, right. you know, and so it's just like the thinking, okay, there's something wrong. And then the critical thinking that goes into it and applying that to everything in life. And so um, I'm glad that you, you say that there's a lot of people I believe that are quote unquote preppers. They just don't call themselves preppers, especially oh, yeah. after the year that we've had with uh, COVID and, and shortages and toilet paper. And, and, you know, <laughs> you know we're, he, we're hearing even more about shortages right now. So, uh, you know, that that's, I think everyone's going to be a prepper. So we'll, we'll go from there. But uh, so tell us a little bit, how did you start looking into to, to come? You're a truth seeker. And so we, we're right in the middle of COVID or we're right into COVID. Um, what, what kicked you into gear starting to look at this, um, I guess, with your mathematical and engineering eyes and your critical thinking skills there? Well, when, when coronavirus, which later became SARS-CoV-3 or two, sorry, SARS-CoV-2, when it first was established that it was in the United States, then I thought, you know what, this is going to be a big deal. I could see the way that it was headed. And, and I thought people are going to need information. They are going to need encouragement. We're going to be facing things together that probably we haven't seen in our lifetimes or, or maybe for several lifetimes. And so I thought, what could I do to help? And I thought if I could put together a summary of all the banter that's going on in the media and just stick to the facts so that I'm not trying to interpret things for people, but I can just give them information so they can better know what to do and understand what's going on, then maybe that would help people. So I decided I'm going to start a podcast and I called it Weathering Coronavirus Updates and Hope. That was the whole idea. It was give people a summary of the information that matters and provide them with a perspective where they can be encouraged. Little did I know how much we would need that encouragement. I think this got even bigger than I anticipated that it might. And uh, interestingly enough, Todd, I, I worked really hard on that podcast for the, the first several weeks, and it became quickly apparent, and I, I don't mean this to be a bias, but I just have to share my experience. It became quickly apparent that I was not on the approved list by the search engines. I don't mean that they were trying to discriminate against my podcast, but I wasn't on the approved list, and I have lots of reason to defend that statement. And as a result, you couldn't find my podcast unless you knew the exact name and look for it exactly. Mm -hmm. So I realized, well, I'm not really doing much for people because no one can find the information. Um, so if, if, if someone today Googles weathering coronavirus updates and hope, they'll find it. If you, if you Google coronavirus or you go to iTunes and search covid or coronavirus, you will never find the podcast. It's, it's buried so deeply that it just can't be found. So I kind of backed off. After several weeks, I realized that I wasn't really reaching many people, and I put my energy into other things. But what this led me to was spending you know, the last 15 months trying to find truth about what was going on with COVID. And the opportunity to share some of those findings with you today, I think, is, is really valuable. Hopefully, people can use the information and come to their own conclusions. Like I said, I don't have a drum to beat. I just wanted to provide people with information. So awesome. All right. Well, 
one of the things that I that I definitely want to do is I'll link to that in the show notes so your to your podcast so people can get to it and maybe go back and, and listen to it. And I and I love the the way that you're approaching this, right? As far as learning and you know how what can we learn from this and what can we um, gather because the way that we can look at COVID right now and what what we can look at as far as what has happened in the past will definitely look, help us looking forward to the next situation that comes And you know, it, w- one of the sayings in preparedness is it's not if, but when there'll sure. always be something else coming down the road. And so being able to look at something and uh, to process what's going on and filter through all the noise, I think it's important. So you have some ideas about what led to the ability for the, of this situation to become an all-encompassing as, as, as it is. Will you share some of those ideas with us? <laughs> Todd, that, that is such a huge question <laughs> that we could spend the next five hours talking about it. Unpacking that is, is like trying to unload a, a, a freight train by yourself. <laughs> but I think we should address it. Yep. Right? Yeah. Um, may I share something just in the way of an example because I think this really matters for people to understand. And what I'm going to share here, I'm warning you in advance, this is going to be controversial and it might rile some people up, but I'm doing it on purpose, not to prove a, you know, not to, to, to take a side, but rather to prove a point. So may we do that? Oh yeah. Just a little, a little thought exercise. Go for it. Okay. On June 3rd, NPR wrote the following, and this is a quote. For many Americans, Dr. Anthony Fauci quickly became the face of trust and reason against the coronavirus pandemic. He was a reliable man of science, while the Trump White House often played politics in his decision making. That's the leading statement about the release of Fauci's emails. Mm. I thought, well, that's interesting. Um, The article goes on to tell how Fauci generously responded to so many uh, fearful people who didn't know what to do in the face of this epidemic and how he just worked so tirelessly at the age of 80 and that he even got to throw the first pitch for a Nats game. Okay. This is how NPR responds to the release of thousands of emails via the Freedom of Information Act so that people can get answers to what was really going on, right? What were the questions that were trying, the whole subject about the emails, right? What were the questions? Um, The questions were things like, did Fauci fund, support, or oversee the weaponization of a coronavirus? That was the question. That's why people requested the emails be released. Let me repeat that. Did Fauci fund, support, or oversee the weaponization of coronavirus? Now, NPR didn't address that at all in the entire article. But let's think about just for a moment what NPR did do. They didn't report any of the much-needed facts. There are no facts included except that Fauci got to throw the first pitch. Um, They didn't talk about what was found in the emails. 
Although they did mention there are a few emails where he responded to people out of the blue who were surprised to get a response, that sort of thing, because he was just so gracious. But they did cite the Trump administration as making politically based decisions. And they showed Fauci was the champion that was defending Americans from Trump. Okay, these emails have nothing to do with Trump. We're completely off subject, right? And it doesn't matter if you're a Trump supporter or not. Trump has nothing to do with the reason that the emails were requested to be released. But when you pull in Trump, what you've done is you've created political energy. You've incited people to an emotional response because some people are huge Trump supporters and they feel cheated. Other people thought that Trump was Satan himself, and so they feel like Fauci now is the savior, or that was the intent of NPR. Why am I telling you all of this? I want us to start thinking about the information that we receive. The media may not directly lie to us very often, but what they choose to share with us is very interesting. And as I started researching this coronavirus event, it became so apparent that the media was telling a story, uh, presenting things in a way that they wanted us to hear. And that troubled me because I just wanted facts. I just wanted information, and it was incredibly difficult to find. Um, let's go on with this exercise a little bit more. So you may already have become emotionally charged a little bit because I'm talking about Trump and Fauci. I mean, that's enough to get people riled up right there right? I, I ask that you stop, pull yourself out of the emotions, right? No knee jerks. Um, I have a lot of notes. I'm just kind of making sure I don't miss anything here. Well, I, I was going to say, I mean, I think most of the audience is going to, you know, completely agree with you on, on, you know, what you were saying there um, and the media and how the media uh, portrays things. And I think it was even before the COVID thing, right? We were seeing a lot of things. Um, well, to be honest, I have a lot of different listeners, right? So I guess people that, that tend to go to the website, probably a little bit more right-leaning conservative uh, people that are on. It's funny because on my email list, whenever there's a, a political maybe like a right leaning or a, a truth seeker type of article. I get, I, you know, I get a lot of people that unsubscribe and even some people that get upset about it, you know, like, mm. Hey, you're just a right, you know, leaning rag, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Um, on the, uh, on the podcast, I probably have uh, more people that um, a lot more probably right leaning, but there's going to be some that are just looking for the preparedness aspect of it. But I think that going back to the truth seeker and, and looking at what you hear from the media, I mean, we were seeing that even before COVID went, you know, was a thing here, even before it was a thing in China, we weren't happy with the way things were being portrayed. We, we saw that things weren't always accurate. And that's one thing, one reason why I believe in alt, alternative news, but even alternative news has their own agenda, has their own slant. You know, so you got to be careful there. But, yeah, it's very uh, difficult to find truth. Yeah, the, the it's facts. very difficult. Um, you know, I just kind of made the claim, and, and you substantiated it, that the media is not necessarily to be trusted. 
right now, some people would say that's a volatile claim right there, right? And that might get people worked up. So people have to interpret what we just said, okay? Now, some people could say just, for example, that Curtis is an idiot, right? Kurt's an idiot. He's a conspiracy nut. And I'm not going to listen to this. Some people might say that. Other people might say, no, no, no. Kurt's a champion who's knocking on the doors of truth, right? And the Kurt is an idiot camp. Um, some people might say that that camp, the Kurt is an idiot camp are all sheeple who need to wake up. Sheeple. That's criticizing other people. Um, the other people might say that the, the Kurt is a champion camp are all dangerous threats to society. And next they're going to tell us that COVID was a hoax or something, right? We, we just kind of jump into putting people in boxes and trying. And that's the way that we evaluate the world around us. It's human nature, right? But we need to stop again. We've been trained to respond this way to propaganda, especially to be polarized, and I think that's what actually allowed this coronavirus event to become what it became, was a polarization. Let me continue a little bit. What are the facts? I mean, that's the big question. And we don't really know, Todd. We don't have enough information to still to have all the facts. But what just happened in this exercise? Well, the first thing is we, there was a stereotyping, right? There's this camp A that says, well, they're all like this. Or the camp B that says, well, they're all like this. You're trying to put Kurt into one of the two camps, right? That's stereotyping. There's the emotional response we already talked about. People get riled up by a conversation. Um, people start taking sides without enough information. We already talked about that. Confirmation bias is huge. And confirmation bias is when you find information that helps to substantiate how you already believe. And that's, that's not really a fair treatment of information either, right? But we all do that. It's like, I feel this way. And if I read this, I say, well, that's a lie. And then read something else. See, I told you, you know, we, we fall into that trap and for good reason. But I want to make one more point that this is going to throw people a little bit off perhaps, but there's a lot of bigotry going on here. And let me illustrate. People might say, I'll bet Kurt is one of those radical right Republican idiots. He probably drives a detuned diesel F-350, <laughs> right? It's a dually with stacks blowing black smoke into my face. And a rebel flag. And a rebel flag. <laughs> or, or they may have said, Kurt sounds like one of those smart aleck liberal intellectuals who thinks he knows more than us. He probably thinks he has the right to tell us what to think. He's probably even a commie, and I'm sure he drives a Prius. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Do we not all do that? I'm exaggerating a little bit to make the point, right? But did you think about it for a minute when we stereotype people, even politically, that's bigotry. Isn't that funny? Because in the United States today, we're encouraged to stereotype left versus right, liberal versus conservative, and to follow one of those camps and to throw everything else out that comes from the other camp. I don't think this is helpful. I don't think this is useful. And we're being manipulated by it. So for the rest of our discussion, I threw all that out there just because I wanted to make the point. Let's pretend for a moment there is no left versus right. And that we're all just people that are doing the best we can to figure out the best way to live life to help our country, to take care of our families, to love, you know, to 
succeed in business, to do all the things that people love to do. If we could just for a minute consider ourselves all the same group, right? I think it'll really help our discussion. So I wanted to start with that, if that's okay. Definitely. I think that that's great. And uh, I think that's a great experiment because we are, or thought thought experiment, because we are very divided. I mean, this country is very, very divided. Even, you know, I was, I was having the conversation uh, this week with uh, somebody at work about even how Texas is so divided. Uh, I'm sorry. No, it wasn't at work. It was uh, a friend of mine. Um, how the cities all go blue and, and the suburbs all go red and Texas still went and voted, but we still have this, this big division that we see it's everywhere, you know? And so being able to understand, here's the thing, like if you, we were in a real SHTF situation, you're going to have to depend on people, right? And, and the situation and the problems that you're facing right at that moment they're not going to be Republican, Democrat, right, left. It's not going to be, you know, all those different kinds of things. It's going to be how can we move on and, and help each other, you know, survive and thrive in this situation. And so being able to look past some of those things, uh, I think it's a, it's a sign of maturity. It's hard. It's hard because you hear the noise all the time. The mm, noise is right. there. But uh, being able to look past that, I think it's going to be really important. Well, you know, COVID became so highly politicized early on. And in my podcast, I kept on encouraging people, don't fall for the, the political stuff. Let's look at the facts and let's work together. And contrasting opinions about things are very useful because that helps to sharpen the edge. You know, it helps us to come to the best solutions. And I'm going to be upfront in telling people, I personally feel like the way that COVID was managed, it may have been, I'm, I'm going to be generous here. It may have been the best we could do, but it was very much mismanaged, in my opinion. I think we could have done far, far better um, with a, a few simple changes to how we approach the whole crisis. And it's easy to be a Monday morning quarterback, right? To look back and say, oh, but if. Um, but I want us to think about what happened with COVID in terms of how can we do better the next time something comes knocking on our door? What can we learn from this? And, you know, that, that's really, at this point, looking back in, you know, over a year since all of this started up, I think that's one of the most valuable things we can do because a lot of it's water in the bridge at this point, right? A lot of disturbing things happen. Todd, I'm going to volunteer for you. Just my opinion on the whole thing is, uh, um, and I can back this up with a lot of facts, but I personally was never scared by COVID. It did not create any fear in me. But the response to COVID scared me to my core. I was more concerned with how the world was handling the crisis than I was about the crisis itself. And a lot of people will say, well, that is ridiculous opinion. I understand why they feel that way. And again, I'm asking everyone, let's, let's put our emotions to the side. Let's explore some of the facts that we do have, right? And then everyone can come to their own conclusions, but maybe we can learn something that'll help for the future. And that's, I mean, that's really where I'm at right now. Perfect. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to stop the recording because um, the guy that, or I'm actually. All right. Three, 
two, one. Well, Kirk, in your research, you found that there is a discrepancy with the way that um, all the numbers were, were calculated uh, as far as all the numbers that we were hearing, you know, as far as COVID and all that kind of stuff. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? I'd love to. This is probably the, the crux of understanding what happened with coronavirus. And I'm going to tell you in advance, we still don't know. Okay. But what I want to illustrate for people is um, some things that we need to consider when we try to evaluate the numbers. And this is so that people can kind of think for themselves again. Right. And I've been watching a lot of uh, campaigns where people make some claim about the numbers and then someone else debunks it. And then someone else makes another claim and someone else debunks it. And this has been a volleyball, you know, ping pong match, whatever you want to call it for the whole event. And uh, so what we want to do is to be able to look at everything and say, okay, generally where have we landed here with all of this debate? And uh, so anyway, that's my attempt. Okay. As of today, we'll just give an example. As of today, according to, I usually go to um, the Worldometer because they have a really concise way of showing what's going on with COVID. And so as of Worldometer, as of today, 3.7 million deaths worldwide from COVID-19. Okay. And in the United States, that's 612,000 deaths. So uh, six-tenths of a million. That, I mean, that's, that's serious, right? But now let's see about the numbers, where those come from. And I'm not going to try to nail anything down so much as just provide more information here. Um, interestingly enough, the CDC changed the way that the death certificates were recorded back in March of 2020. And this had a huge impact on the numbers that were reported for coronavirus deaths in the United States. And I mean, there are even lawsuits and things like that going on right now that the media is not talking about where they're, they're taking the CDC to task for this. But it doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily nefarious. Let, let me kind of explain. The debunkers are saying that the way that the death certificates had been filled in for the last 17 years prior to last year was too ambiguous. And so they needed to tighten it up. And so they did. And that's the, that's the argument of the CDC and the debunkers, right? And then you have the argument from the other side saying, why did you change something that worked perfectly well for 17 years prior to this event, which vastly increased the numbers reported for COVID-19 deaths? It, th those are the facts, okay? There's no speculation there. Those are the facts. So now we can speculate just a little bit. What's the impact? Right. So the way to understand this is something like this, Todd. Um, let's talk about the flu in 2018. When someone got to the, the flu, got really, really sick, went to the hospital and died. Then what would the death certificate look like? Well, to understand that, we have to bring in the whole idea of comorbidities, which was a big discussion early on in the in the pandemic, if you want to call it that. So if someone had heart disease or severe diabetes, maybe they were obese and had a, a compromised immune system and they died of the flu in the hospital, then the doctor might say on the previous form, 
right? The doctor might say, died of heart disease with complications from the flu. Or might say, died of the flu. Or might say, died of heart disease and diabetes with complications from an upper respiratory illness, right? But there was that ambiguity. And okay, after the CDC changed the death certificate, then how was it reported? Well, if, if a patient had symptoms of COVID when they died, it was reported as a COVID death. Now, they could say with complications from heart disease or diabetes or comorbidities, and they were supposed to, but it was supposed to be if, if you think this person might have had COVID, then the cause of death is COVID, which begs the question, when someone dies because essentially they're very unhealthy in the first place, something's going to take them out, right? It, it could be the flu. It could have been covid you know, it, it could be a common cold in some cases, which develops into pneumonia and other re upper respiratory problems. And so people die. And it was kind of left to the physician to call it out. What was the cause of death? Um, when we started looking at people that were dying from COVID, it became quickly apparent that young and healthy people weren't dying from COVID. It just is, is a non-thing. Uh, older people, people with a lot of comorbidities, we're dying from COVID. And this, is, this we know, those are the facts. That's a fact. A matter of fact, here are some, uh, some numbers. This came from New York, and it was reported early on in um, the, the whole COVID experience here, I think in April or something like that. But it just kind of illustrates the point. Um, ages 0 to 17.06% of the COVID deaths were, were in that age group. That's So up to 17 years old, we're talking about six one hundredths of one percent so negligible and of those more than half had comorbidities <laughs> so um then 18 to 44 was about four percent of the deaths and of course many of those had comor comorbidities as well and then we get to 45 to 64 which is 22 percent and 65 to 74 which is 25 percent and 75 plus which was almost 50 percent so let's summarize it this is just for understanding. 73% of the deaths in this report were people above the age of 65, the majority of who had comorbidities. Uh, think of it another way. 96%, almost all, that's what I'm saying there. 96% of the deaths were people above the age of 45, most of which had comorbidities. So then that begs the question. Had the death certificate not been changed by the CDC, how many of those deaths would have been heart disease or cancer or diabetes, et cetera, versus COVID, 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 COVID. So I'm not going to say that COVID was not a big deal. It was. It killed a lot of people. Did it kill 600,000 people in the United States? No, it did not. Now, do we know what the number is? No, we do not. <laughs> and that's the challenge of the whole conversation here, right? We don't have quite enough information. We do know that deaths that were attributed to COVID were inflated by the way the deaths were reported. And the reason I say that is that a lot of people were dying anyway, 
and their death was attributed to COVID. COVID was like the final trigger that brought their demise. And, and, you know, we still feel about that, right? We're sorry that that happened. What I'm saying is I'm not sure that's a COVID death, but because of the change to the death certificate, they all became COVID deaths. And so the numbers were inflated. Now here's something interesting about that. We could, we would like to speculate a little bit more. What would the death rate be had they not changed the death certificate? 6% of the COVID deaths that were reported did not have comorbidities. Hmm. It's a big difference, man. Well, it, this is a bad number. This is bad math, but that would be 37,000 people in the United States, not 600,000. That's bad math because COVID could have still been the primary cause of death, even if you had a comorbidity, right? We don't know how to evaluate that. I'm only illustrating the point that the deaths worldwide, right, were inflated. And in the United States, they were inflated. And I'm not trying to make light of COVID. COVID was serious. People got sick. People are still suffering. People have died. I'm just saying, well, what was the story? What was the messaging that we were getting? And it kind of changes my perspective when I look at it and I say, well, based on the old way of recording death certificates, we may have been looking at something worse than the flu, right? Then not vastly worse than the flu necessarily. Uh, the number of flu deaths in 2017, 2018 flu season in the United States was 61,000. That's also very sad. Mm -hmm. Um, I do believe, based on my research, as best as I've been able to sort through all these numbers, and I've done it over and over and over again, COVID is worse than the flu. Um, it's not worse than the flu for young people. The flu is much worse for young people. But COVID is worse than the flu for the elderly, for the immunodepressed, for the vulnerable people. COVID was worse. Um, but how much worse? Statistically, significantly worse is all I can say, but it's not by vast margins that we were led to believe. Now, I might even be wrong about that because I don't have enough information, but I can say that COVID was serious, but not as bad as we were led to believe based on, you know, the information that we were provided. And do we have to ask a lot of other questions too. Uh, um, for instance, we, ask, we say, what was the mortality rate of COVID? And this really matters, right? What percent of people that got the illness died? The answer is, we don't know, <laughs> right? And the main reason is because the young people that got sick may have been asymptomatic, not even shown that they had COVID because it was so mild, or they thought they had a cold, or they're like, well, maybe this is COVID, but they never got tested, right? So there were multitudes of people that had COVID that were never put on the chart as having had COVID. Now, eventually, the statisticians will try to estimate what that group is, and they might be able to. I don't know. And, and eventually, they'll come to a true mortality rate. But at least in the beginning, um, only people that were tested positive for COVID were thrown into the denominator of that, or the, yeah, the denominator of that equation. So if you look at the deaths divided by the people that they thought were COVID deaths, it makes the mortality rate look pretty high. But if you added in all the people that never even reported or were tested, then we know that the mortality rate drops precipitously, right? So I'm not trying to say COVID wasn't a big deal. It was. I am trying to say we didn't have enough information. 
And when we start looking at the numbers and we see death rates, I mean, scary things, the, the death rate for people, let me see here. I believe I have this pulled up. I'm going to look real fast so I don't misquote this. I just lost it on my screen. The death rate for people that were, you know, above the age of 75 or so, or so was pretty high, you know, and it really was. It was a scary thing. But the death rate for young people was negligible. I mean, more people, more young people die of suicide by far every year than died of COVID. So it should kind of change our perspective. More people dying auto accidents, right? We, we, should, we should think about this in light of other factors to kind of get a feel for how it was. Now, if I had a, a comorbidity, I was older and my immune system's compromised somehow, right? Then yes, COVID was very, very dangerous. So is the flu. <laughs> but you know health is critical when it comes to managing these sorts of situations are you going into it healthy already you're going to have a different outcome if you're going into the situation very unhealthy well then it's a whole different story for you right i think that a lot of that was was kind of brought out by the media but i don't think anyone took the time to say we're inflating the death counts and they were right I, that wasn't on a message that I got from mainstream media. Now, was that propagandizing, and that's really what it was, was that done for nefarious reasons? That, that's a whole different question, and now it's totally speculation, right? But I want to throw in something that we need to consider. If you were a public health official, Maybe you were a county, a county health director or a governor of a state or, or, you know, maybe you're Fauci or someone at the CDC or even the president. You don't have much information to go on. What you do know is um, China built hospitals practically overnight that could house tens of thousands of patients, <laughs> right? People were freaking out. There were a lot of uh, hospitals in Italy that got overwhelmed in the early days. They had a very aged population there and the spread of COVID was not curtailed at all. So it's like in some areas in Italy, everybody was infected, right? And it overwhelmed the hospitals. So what do you do if you're a public health official? You have no information, but you have but pretty much what I just shared. And consider this. If you overreact... And the economic impacts of that are vast. And people will die from the economic impacts. Then people are going to say you overreacted. And if you succeed in curtailing the spread of the virus because you took a strong action, then there's no evidence that you were right because you won the game, right? Not many people died. So it's easy to say you overreacted and look at all the people that were hurt by it. Now, let's say you underreact. Reverse that. I underreact and too many people get sick and die. We overwhelm the hospitals. So what are you going to do when you don't have enough information to make that decision? And you know for a fact, it's a damned if you do and damned if you don't option. Now, I'll be the first to say, I don't think the way that the world or the United States responded to this epidemic was correct. I think we messed it up. But I'll also be the first to say, 
it may have been the best we could do. I mean, what would you do if you were one of those public health officials? Hey, everyone. I wanted to break into this episode to tell you about a new outdoor website called Rerouted. Rerouted is creating a trusted online marketplace to revolutionize the used outdoor gear industry and to allow all people to create their own outdoor adventure. Now, buying new outdoor gear can be extremely expensive, and Rerouted wants to offer a sustainable alternative. Now, preppers are always looking for ways to save money, but you don't want to cut corners when you are buying gear and equipment that you will have to depend on. We have all purchased that cheap piece of gear only to find out when you really use it, it didn't hold up to real use. So what would happen in a true emergency? Good gear is made to last, so even if it is used, it will last a lot longer than the stuff from China that you can buy for cheap. But that is not all that Rerouted offers. Rerouted allows you to sell your used gear too. So you might have some gear that you have outgrown or gear that is laying around because you have upgraded since you started your preparedness journey. You could put your used gear on Craigslist or sell it at a garage sale, but you will always earn more when people who know the true value of what you're selling buy it. This is a great way to earn a little bit of extra money while giving someone a great opportunity to buy some quality gear. So the website is rerouted.co. That's rerouted.co. Go check them out. I'll post a link in the episode notes to make it easy on you. Rerouted gear, sustainable future, new adventures. Now back to the podcast. Yeah, I, I agree with you that early on and, you know, those of us who were watching it, you know, starting in January, the things that were happening in China, you're hearing about it. Um, I know that we were we were reminded this last um, this last week that for us here in, in Houston, Texas, when everything became real for a lot of people was when the Houston livestock show and rodeo shut down. Right. That mm. was like, when, when that happened, everybody is like, okay, maybe we really need to take this thing seriously, or maybe this is really a, a deal here. I mean, I had been looking at it and I'd shared with uh, a lot of people and I've told this story many times on the, on the podcast that uh, I, I shared it with my coworkers and I'm like, Hey, look, I care about you and I want you to make good decisions. I texted uh, other people that I used to work with before things started ramping up and they were able to get supplies and the things that they needed. And so we did see all that. And one of the things is that I would always go to is like, China was shutting down big cities of millions of oh, people, yeah. right? They were shutting down those people. My only concern is that as we continue to move further and further down the road, there was no adjustment, right? There was no there was no adjustment as far as, okay, hey, this thing might not be exactly where, where we think it is, or it's not as bad as we see, at least coming from the, the media. You always had those people on the other side that were saying, this is nothing. This is the flu. This is just like the flu. You always had those people. You know, and then you had the other side is like, hey, you got you to gotta be careful. You got to do that. And there was never a time where we like, let's look at this and make adjustments. You know, it was always sure. like, like here, here in, in, in Houston, uh, the Harris County judge is like, she just recently took the county off of like the highest level alert. It, 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 yeah. was, it, was, it was nuts because the governor has opened up, no one's wearing masks and like Harris County is still like at red alert and no one's like, no one's even paying attention to that. So then you get to the point like, oh yeah, I don't, I don't trust you at all because you're like, you want to keep us completely locked down and everybody else is opening up. Everybody else is going on, you know, starting to, to, to go on with life. So I guess that was, 
my big issue. And I think that's probably those of us who weren't so extreme, I think, and, and those that were really looking at this and those that prepare for, hey, we know that a pandemic is very possible. It's kind of funny. I did a survey probably about a year before, year and a half before, and pandemic is one of those things that was up there. You know, preppers always look at EMPs and and solar flares and 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 you know grid going down and all that kind of stuff. But pandemic, well, was was it was at least something that people it was on their radar. So it's something that we're paying attention to. My thing is the adjustment. It's like okay, hey, we see these things happening, and it's not exactly the way that we're seeing it. And I think you kind of a you know you've, you you kind of mentioned that is like we need to be able to think for ourselves. We need to be able to, to see what the facts are and where we're going with that. And so uh, I completely, I, I, I agree with you where all these things were, were being done, but at the same time, I think we really truly need to look at the facts and adjust, look at the facts and adjust. I think we need to do that with any crisis that we're in. Um, that's just smart for us to, to be able to do that. You know, so, there's a lot at stake, Todd, once, a decision has been made like to lock down a society, lock down an economy, yeah. right? You've made that call. <laughs> you don't want to back down, right? And what if you back down and then everyone does get sick and it turns into the pandemic that everyone was afraid of? I, I tell you what, I do, not, um, I do not envy in any way the decision makers in this, Yeah, right? And it's real easy for us to point fingers and say, that was a stupid move. We shouldn't have done it this way, but I don't envy that. That was tough. And we could say in retrospect, it wasn't nearly as bad as they said it was going to be. Therefore, they were wrong. Or we could easily say it wasn't nearly as bad as they said it might be. Therefore, their policies worked. And who would know? There's no control group. We don't have a society that wasn't locked down <laughs> to compare to. Right. Right. Well yeah, and, and I mean, I, I completely agree with you, but it, then it goes back to, for instance, we could see it in Texas and Florida, where Florida was opening up. And I mean, there were still people getting sick there. In Texas, there's still people getting sick sure. here, here in, in Texas, you know, even as uh, where we are right now. Um, but you look at it compared to all the other states that were like really, really locked down. I think Oregon was, um, was it Oregon? I can't remember exactly where again, maybe it was Washington. There was going to be a city that was locking down. Um, you know, Australia was locking down. I mean, so you have all these different variations of mm -hmm. where people are. And so that's what causes people, I think, to look at things and say, okay, this is conspiracy or, hey, these people don't have our, uh, this, it's about power. It's about the power grab. And so I think that's what causes people to not be able to get to the point where they're trusting the media and trusting the government and different things like that. Um, again, going back to what you said before, this, what, what happened, the response to COVID, um, well, all the things that happened as a result of it is going to be worse than, you know, the actual, um, uh, you know, COVID itself, you know, getting the virus. Again, going back and, and there were people that got sick and people who have lost family members and, and, and different things like that. So that's not, you know, downplaying that aspect of it. But, you know, we've done a lot of damage to the um, to our, our, our country. I mean, a lot of people believe that. 
So you think that, the, you know, we could have done some different things, right? You, you feel like we could have responded a little bit differently um, about how things went, went, how, you know, went down. So um, can you talk to us a little bit about what alternatives we could have looked at, you know, and again, yeah. not just for looking back and saying, okay, Hey, this person screwed up, this person messed up, but, again, looking forward to the future about how we could respond. There are so many <laughs> directions we could go with that. And I, I'd like to hit several of the big ones, Todd, but um, one of them you already kind of mentioned. And that is, boy, we almost need to go into the discussion about personality types so that people understand where this is coming from. And I mean, well, let's get there if we can. Let me answer this question first, but I just want to tell everyone in advance, your fundamental core personality type determines how you want to answer this question, right? You might think that you're a clear-headed thinker. We all would like to, but that your fundamental personality type is going to govern this process. You might come to the same conclusion regardless, or you might not, but I, I'm just telling you, we need to be aware that other people feel other ways for a really good reason. And I'd like to get to that. But that said, let's dive into answering this a little bit. Okay. One fundamental personality type believes that the authorities um, want to help us and that they have our best interest at heart and that they are consulting the experts and they're making the best decisions that they can make based on the information that they have. And they're going to take care of us. Another personality type says, I'm in charge of my health. I'm going to get all the information I can and do what's best for me and my loved ones and to protect others, right? But I don't trust government. I don't trust the scientists. I don't trust the people in charge to necessarily do the right thing for me because I need to make that decision myself. And I'll live with the consequences and I'll take the responsibility, right? Those are two different personality types. That's not just two ways of thinking. These are fundamental to the core of how people identify with who they are. So during this time period, when the lockdowns happened, there are a lot of people that are on board saying they are taking care of us. Thank goodness we have a crack at survival here, right? There are other people that said, how dare you? That is my call, not yours, right? Some people felt like the government was going to do the right thing for us. And other people said, this is the government of the people, for the people, by the people. You can't do this to me. Maybe they're both partially right, but I tend to lean toward personal responsibility, right? So in my viewpoint, the first big one was, you don't tell people what they have to do. Instead, you provide them with as much valid information as possible. You issue advisories, right? You get people on board, to make the best possible decisions and you let people decide for themselves. Now, other personality types quickly say, yeah, but there are all those idiots out there that would kill the rest of us because they would just be stupid. And I say, they were still out there killing the rest of us being stupid. <laughs> the, the lockdowns don't change the way those people behave. Right? So I really felt assaulted by the public health orders. Personally, the lockdowns. I wanted information and I wanted to make a wise decision to take care of others and take care of myself. But I, I did not want anyone using, you know, 
state of emergency laws existed and they gave authorities the rights to do some of these things for a limited period of time. Usually for the states, it was something like 30 days, depends on what the jurisdiction was, right? Not a year. Right. Right. It was illegal. It was unconstitutional. It was against the established law, but they did it anyway. And so part of me says, okay, declare the state of emergency, gather as much information as you can during that window, really help people to understand what's going on and then follow the law after that. How about that? Tell people the information that you've gathered and let people govern their own health. So that was my first biggest complaint. The second thing that troubled me the most is that everyone just let it happen. We let the governors break the law. We let the president break the law. We let the health departments break the law. That was there for a reason. So it's kind of like, oh, what does this mean to about the U.S. population? How many people believe the government's doing the right thing? How many people might do the same thing regardless, but want to make that decision themselves? The personality types. And I came down on the side of inform me and let me do the right thing. So that, I mean, that's the big overarching debate, right? And there are two sides and they both have great arguments and we need to hear both sides. But that was the biggest thing that bothered me the most about this was why don't you trust the citizens of the United States of America to do the right thing? That just really, you know, that, that troubled me. Here's another one. Very early on, we realized that people with um, poor health, comorbidities, and aged people were very vulnerable to this disease. And we needed to do everything we could to protect them. But the young people and the healthy people should have been keeping the economy going for everyone else. We absolutely could have done both. We could have said, okay, if you are young and healthy and you don't have comorbidities and you are deciding that you want to continue to be economically viable, then go for it because you're saving the rest of us. That wasn't allowed. And the economic fallout from that won't be realized in its entirety for years and years to come. But it's vast. And I still believe, and I'm speculating, more people will die from the economic impacts than died from COVID. I still believe that to be true. I believe that to be true all the way back last spring. You know, and I, I, uh, I still do. And that's what really troubled me. You know, everyone is trying to, to beat a virus, but I'm like, okay, let's consider everything, not just the virus. Mm-hmm. Here's a, a little anecdote. I live in a small town in Colorado and here um, it was established that the increase in emergency room visits from mental illness crises and substance abuse crises increased during the lockdowns by 500%. That's because of the lockdowns. It's because of the masking and it's because of people losing their social support groups that they needed to get through. There are a lot of people kind of in the balance who need the love of others. They lost that. We had a 500% increase. Now, do I know how those numbers pan out across the globe or in the United States even? And the answer is no. And I don't know if they'll ever tell us, but it establishes it was a very real problem. People are already dying. The suicide rate spiked 
during the lockdowns. We know this, right? People died. And here's the crazy part. When people develop a substance abuse issue in their lives, it can last for five years or maybe even 10 years before it kills them. How many people started a journey toward that demise because of the lockdowns? So did we manage the crisis correctly? I think we had tunnel vision. It became, let's beat a virus. We needed to beat a virus and take care of everybody else. Mm -hmm. We needed to beat the virus and take care of the economy. And young and healthy people who are willing to step out and do that should have been allowed to do that. And yes, you know, the, the, the elderly, the people that we knew were vulnerable, they needed to be specially taken care of. And you, even if the virus exploded in the young population, people were afraid that then it would be carried to the older population. But we could have governed that as well and made sure that the, the vulnerable people were protected. So I always felt that that was a huge mistake. And we don't know what the fallout is going to be. We still don't. Um, the economic impacts. Okay, what was at stake with COVID? Well, how about trillions and trillions of dollars in the United States alone? bailout packages, vaccine sales and development. I mean, so much money. What people don't understand if they haven't looked into basic economics is that when you dilute a money supply, it causes inflation. It's, it's an equation that is predictable and something that economists have known for centuries. So the stimulus packages that were put out because we shut down an economy are already and will be going forward causing inflation. So let's say three years from now, the cost of goods and services have doubled because of this inflationary effect, which is a very likely outcome. Maybe it's five years, whatever. There's so many people that are living on the edge of what they can afford right now who won't be making it then. And what are these people going to do? Some people are going to sell drugs. Some people are going to commit crimes. Some people are going to end up in prison. Some people are going to go on to welfare. Some people are going to uh, just get divorced. Some people aren't going to manage it. It's going to be violent. Children are going to go hungry. I sound like a doomsday prophet, and I apologize, but these are the real impacts of locking down an economy. These are the real impacts of bailing out an economy. And I, I had a wise friend who said on this conversation, in this discussion, yeah, but if we let it crash hard now, how many people will be hurt? If we do the, the stimulus packages now, we know that we're hurting things down the road, but we're going to spread that impact out over the next decade or so, and maybe we'll be able to better manage it that way. And I thought, okay, that's a valid argument. That's a valid argument, but it's still speculation. Right? But we do know one thing. Had we allowed people that weren't vulnerable to COVID to keep the economy chugging along, then we would have minimized the impact on both sides. So that's another way that I think in the future, when something like this happens, as soon as we have enough information, we should act on that information to try to find the best outcome. Now, there are some people out there who will quickly say, Kurt, you're full of it. People would have died by the millions had we done that, but we'll never know, right? Um, so those are just a handful of ways that we could have done things differently. And I have to throw in the last one, even though this is the most controversial of all, 
So I'm apologizing, Todd, in advance because <laughs> this one riles people up so much. Hey, I, you know what? You, you keep apologizing. Don't worry about that. You know, I think it's good to get riled up every once in a while. I think that causes us to think, right? Um, so don't, stop, stop apologizing. Okay. Go ahead, rile people. If well, they here's yell, the if they yell at their at their phone or their iPod or whatever they're listening to on, it's all right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I when we get to personality types, which I really want to do, so people can understand this. Um, you'll find out that I am very high in agreeableness. I want people to get along. <laughs> and so what I'm warning is that people that have strong feelings about masking, I'm getting ready to hurt your feelings. So here we go. Um, washing your hands, having a hanky to cover your face when you cough or you sneeze. If you know you're sick, stay home. Sterilize the shopping carts. Those are all practices that we know can be effective against any type of viral spread. We also know for a fact that viruses are too small to be blocked by the pores of any sort of these little flimsy medical masks or the cloth masks that people were wearing. Now, people say, yeah, but the spittle, you know, when you sneeze or the droplets that come out of your mouth, right? Those are the things that the mask can catch. And the answer is yes, they can. If you wore the mask correctly and you had about five of them on and you didn't ever touch it and <laughs> I could go on and on and on if it's done correctly. And if people say, well, surgeons and medical people have been wearing masks for years and years and years. They know it works. And the response to that is look at the mask they're using and how they're using it. No one at the grocery store was doing that. Can masks help? Absolutely, they can help. Did the masking help in the United States? No. And I can prove that by some studies that have come out, actually. There was an in-depth study recently done, very, very statistically significant, very, very careful study. And they compared states that started masking earlier than others. They compared how many people actually obeyed the masking mandates compared to others in these states. And the correlation they found was 0%. The spread of the virus wasn't impacted by the masks. We all knew this. I, I mean, it didn't take a genius to know this because everyone was touching their mask and then filling the avocados to see which one was ripe. <laughs> so if you allow, if you are infected and you allow that mask to catch all that infection and then you're, you're touching it, it defeats the whole purpose, right? And then the other thing is, if someone coughs or sneezes, yeah, it did. People showed little infrared videos to prove this. It redirected the flow from out straight in front of you to out to the sides and down onto the shopping cart. So sneeze into your mask, and now the shopping cart got more. Maybe the avocados got less. I'm not sure, <laughs> right? But the reason I bring that all up is because Masking wasn't done correctly in the United States to have a, a st statistically significant impact. So why did we do it? Do you have any ideas why we may have masked up across the nation, Todd? T to me, it's to continue on with the fear and I would say control. And, um, you know, one of the things that I always said was going, looking at, for instance, Asian countries, Japan. You, and you see, we have a high Japanese um, population here in Houston. So you see this quite often before COVID. But 
they would, you know, if they were sick or they weren't feeling well, they would put on a mask and that kind of helped other people know that they were sick and that they weren't feeling good, but they were going about their life. And okay, that's, that's the way that, that it was. And so those people put it on, they weren't feeling well, but everybody else around them was, was fine. They weren't wearing masks. So I always go back to that, you know, um, what are your thoughts on why we did this or why they, they forced it? Well, first, I want to say that the messaging that was used, which was super effective, was that masking is caring. Wearing is caring. You saw that all over the place, right? Yep, yep. That by putting on a mask, you're protecting someone else. And it, the message, the underlying message of that was, if you're not wearing a mask, you might be murdering somebody. Yeah. That was the messaging. And I was like, whoa, come on, guys. That is, that is unfair and incorrect. Mm-hmm. But that was the message. Wearing is caring right? The inverse of that was also the message. Not wearing is, is killing people. Yeah. And I'm going to say it. I, I'm really hesitant to say this because so many people are so charged emotionally about the mask because of wearing is caring. They said, if you're not going, why is it a big deal to put a mask on if it might save someone else's life? If it might save someone else's life, why would you resist this? Right. And I totally understand that argument. And I want to tell everyone I care very, very deeply about taking care of everyone. Right. We were arguing about whether or not we should be locked down, whether businesses should open, which businesses should be allowed to stay open. Can churches meet? Right. We are arguing about those things. And then they said, everyone put on a mask. Then we started arguing about masks a little bit. And the other stuff kind of got quiet. And when I walked into the grocery store, everyone was voting with their countenance, with their face, that they were in solidarity with how this crisis was being managed. The social pressure to wear that mask and be on board went up by many orders of magnitude when everyone put on a mask. The masks were one of the most effective devices that they used in the entire event. They weren't effective to protect people from coronavirus. They were very effective at getting people on board with what the public health officials were saying we needed to do. They were extraordinarily effective devices. Mm -hmm. I, I, I can't argue with that. But at the same time, if you have that thought, that idea, then you have to go to the conclusion that they were doing this for nefarious reasons, right? And, and I know that you don't want to go there. You're looking at the, um, and, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth at all completely. I'm just saying if, if we go down that road, then the reason being is the fear, the fear factor and, and the, the emotional factor and, and all of that. But why push that so hard if it wasn't for the control aspect, right? And the whole, I mean, we can carry that with the vaccines. I mean, you've got some states that are doing lotteries. Like if, if, you, if you get vaccinated, you get into a lottery and you can win a truck and you can win a million dollars and you can go on a vacation and you can do all these different things, man. I mean, you know, so you have those, it's like 
if it if there was a real situation, you know, if you really truly needed to get vaccinated, you wouldn't have to do. I mean, I think I saw a meme on that recently. It was like if you they wouldn't have to convince you to get vaccinated if if you know there was a real situation here. And I know we could go back and forth and all all that kind of stuff, but that's where I go with go to at least in 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 my thought process. And I'm sure a lot of people on you know listening to the podcast would go there as well if if it was that aspect of it then why why push so hard you know was it the control was it the division was causing the division keeping everyone uh you know isolated you know those types i I, one could replace the word for control with effectiveness of the policies to keep people safe if you're trying to convince the masses to do what they consider to be the right thing, which would be comply with the public health orders so that fewer people die, then whether the mask works or not, if it makes everybody compliant with everything else, and it did, Mm -hmm. then the masks are an effective tool for the health, for the public good, right? And in that sense, I, I I, I saw it. You go in public and everyone has on a mask. It's like, oh, this is real. Did you feel that? Yeah, I mean, you you would see it. I mean, in the back of my mind, I knew that it wasn't effective. But looking at everybody else's is like, and and I will I will say that you know at work, I had to wear a mask. You know, thank God I have my own office, so like, uh, of course, I didn't have to wear it there. But um, when you walk into the hallways and, and different things like that. And I, and again, this is what I, I mentioned earlier in the podcast is when I go back to work on Monday, like that all goes out, you know, so Friday, here we are, you know, everybody wearing masks and all of a sudden, you know, I don't know, some magical thing, you know, unicorns walk through the, uh, you know, walk through the hallways. And then on Monday, no one's wearing mask, you know? And so I, I knew it was, I guess I did it to, to, because it was, part of what they were requiring at work, but also there was, it would make people comfortable as well, you know? And so um, for me, that's why I go back to that control thing. I completely understand where you could see it that way, where you could see it, that it was uh, about the, um, you know, keeping everybody uh, focused on the fact that it was, uh, you know, a real virus and everyone needed to take it seriously. Uh, I can, I can see that. But again, I go back to what I said earlier is like, as we continue to progress and as we continue to get more information, as things started to open up, why weren't there adjustments made? You know, it just did it worldwide. I mean, you know, nationwide, again, we go back to Texas, we go back to Florida, we go back to some of the other States that started to open up. And then I think that kind of spawned some of the other states to say, okay, hey, we're opening up too, <laughs> because if not, we, everybody's moving to Texas and Florida, you know, and we really sure. want to keep everybody where they're at. We, we don't need more people in, in Texas, but uh, I, that's just kind of where I go, you know, and uh, I'm sure there's other people that think that way too. And, and I understand your, your reason, your, your logic there. I completely understand it too. Well, personally, <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm kind of playing devil's advocate in a sense because my goal here is <laughs> know, for people. I know you are. I know you are. My goal is for people to have a, a, a richer breadth of understanding, not to convince people of an agenda, right? 
I said that in the beginning. So personally, I don't think the masks were necessary for health. Um, I think that they really did encourage people to be compliant with health orders. And maybe if the health orders were effective, which is another question I can't answer, but if they were effective, then the end result would be, okay, I kind of get it. Some people also made the arguments that the masks were very unhealthy. And there are medical reasons that masking is dangerous for people. Um, That's a very real thing. Compared to the danger of COVID, maybe it's a lesser of the evils. But then some people said, should I compromise my health? When I'm healthy already and I'm not, I can't hurt anybody, should I compromise my health by wearing this mask? A lot of questions went out. And then there's so many people who are like, how dare you? How dare you even mention that the mask wasn't effective? Okay, we should get to personality type so we can address some of that. You know, I, uh, I hope that the United States never resorts to masking again. But I fear that next fall when the flu season starts up, we're going to start seeing masks all over the place. I, I, I can't disagree with you. Although at work, I'm trying to convince everyone to have a mask tree where we go and we, where we go hang our, our mask. And so it's just kind of like a reminder of all of that. I mean, Listen, there's a lot of people that put a lot of money into their mask. There's people that had like glitter, glittery mask. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You know? Yeah. No, the, I did want to buy a mask that had like, you know, like a big grin on there. I never did. I never wind up doing that, but uh, I kind of wanted to do that, but it's, it's crazy. But I do, I, 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 yeah, I, I think that some of this stuff worked. I think, again, going back, I think we're still divisive, divided. Mm. Um, But I think, too, that it'll be harder next time. So I think they're going to have to push harder in some places. You know, I I think I'm hoping at least Texas and Florida and some of these other states that did open up early on. I hope that there is a little bit of pushback. But we'll see. So you think next fall that we're we're masking back up again? So don't throw away your mask. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, everyone keep your mask. <laughs> Wash them real good. <laughs> well, consider this for a minute. I a lot of people die from the flu, and they have for hundreds and hundreds of years. And some flu seasons are much worse than others because of how virulent you know the flu virus is. COVID is not the flu, by the way. Two different bugs. <laughs> but um, the United States never responded to flu season by masking up. Although people that were immunodepressed and things sometimes did, right? But it was rare. But in other countries, it kind of became popular. And now it seems like every flu season, we see those countries masking up, right? And and I'm just kind of like, well, if the United States population, if the citizens of this wonderful nation would capitulate so easily, then what does the future look like? And actually, Todd, that's what bothered me the most about the COVID event. And you you notice I don't say pandemic. I I did once. It was a slip up. It was not a pandemic by the definition of a pandemic. (laughs) At first, they thought it was going to be. But then they found out, okay, it's not really. But they continue to use the word. But by the definition, the medical definition of a pandemic, we're using the wrong terminology. It was a virus. It was an event. But anyway, that's an aside. Um, 
I want people instead of following blindly whatever directives come our way, I want people to do research and I want them to exercise their right to contact their representatives, their commissioners, their county, city health departments, and to say, no, let's do right things this time. We have the opportunity to not destroy the economy and scare people to death. We have the opportunity to avoid elevating the suicide rate. We have the opportunity to avoid that 500% increase in substance abuse and mental health issues, right? We have the opportunity here to maybe balance on the line that keeps people safe and doesn't harm other people in the process. That's what I want for everything that happens in the future. I want people to be informed and to take action and say, we can do right things. We don't have to go to either extreme or the other, right? We can do right things and take care of each other and make wise decisions. And we don't need states of emergencies and lockdowns to do it. I, I hope that we've learned our lessons to not do that, but we'll see, we'll see how it plans out now yeah. or plays out. But I think it's this, this whole conversation about looking at facts and thinking things through. I think it's so important to have that as a life skill, not just in big you know, viruses and big things like this. It's in, it's in everything that we do that we put, you know, time and effort to, I think it's important to be able to do that. So we talked a little bit about personalities. Do you want to, you want to go back through that a little bit again? I would, or, I would Todd, because that? it's so important. Yeah. And I think that kind of plays into how we approach a lot of the things um, that, that, not only this thing and not what will happen in the future, but important things that we need to make decisions for in our lives. So yeah, go for um, it. Self-reliance. Let's start there. It's actually the result of a personality type. And because your programming has for a long time helped people to be better prepared and self-reliant, then those likely are the types of listeners that we're talking to right? Because they've chosen to listen to you, Todd, because that's what you offer. You offer something of value in that regard, but that comes from a personality type. So let me back that up a little bit. Um, for decades, psychologists have tried to determine what personality traits are impacted by this, that, or the other, and how they could be categorized and how we could begin to understand people based on some system of personality traits, right? And this has been going on for hundreds of years. And we've kind of landed at some in modern day that are valuable. You may re remember like 25, 30 years ago, the Myers-Briggs personality test was a big deal. It's been replaced by some others, um, although people still use it. The one that I really like is the ocean personality types. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but there are five personality types. The acronym is ocean. And let me real quickly just say what there are. So people, I'm not going to go in deep, but openness to experience. That means you like to try new things. Um, you are curious. And you like to consider new ideas. And this is a spectrum. It's not yes, no, right? It's okay, I'm 60% I'm more open than the majority of the population. Or I'm 30% open compared to the majority of the population. It's not wrong versus right. Okay. Okay. It's a matter of how open am I as a personality. Some people are not open. 
Matter of fact, I don't like dichotomies. I don't like binary thinking at all, but I'm going to use it for just a second. Liberals say, let's fix it. Conservatives say, don't break it. They both want a better end. I'm not saying who's right or wrong here, but liberals say, let's fix it. Conservatives say, don't break it. At least that's what liberal liberalism and conservatism meant historically for the last several hundred years. It's getting confused a little bit today. But that said, who's more open, do you think, to change? The one that's saying don't break it or the one that's saying let's fix it? Yeah. Now, that I think that's interesting. Yeah. So it's just something to consider that your personality trait might influence your political leaning. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, conscientiousness is the next. We're going down ocean, right? We did O, openness. Now conscientiousness. That is, how much do you pay attention to the data? How careful are you, right? Um, how reliable are you? How diligent are you? People that are very high in conscientiousness make great accountants. <laughs> okay. People that are low in conscientiousness are usually the ones that are like, what are you doing? You have analysis paralysis. Let's move on. Right. I get it. Those are personality traits. Next one, extroversion. Um, That's extroversion versus introversion, but they just call it extroversion. And this is, am I energized by being in front of people, around people, in the group? Do I like to stand up and crack the joke? Do I like to speak to people and be, you know, in that teaching position? That's extroversion. Introversion is, I get energized when I'm by myself, when I'm doing that inside work. I really like quiet places. That's what energizes me. Now, the introvert can be a great leader and a great public speaker as well. But they're going to find that standing up in front of a large crowd is draining. An extrovert stands up in front of the large crowd and is jazzed, energized by the experience, right? Introversion versus extroversion. This was a huge one for the lockdowns. I'm going to come back to that. Agreeableness. That means how, how much am I trying to get everybody to get along versus maybe, no, it's my way or the highway. I'm sick and tired of dealing with you people. You get out of my face. I'm doing, I'm doing my thing, right? Um, some people would look at it as, well, I'm making a decision. And, and other people would say, wait, wait a minute. Let's consider all the facts and help everybody out, right? So that's agreeableness. It, it's, it's often related to tactfulness, kindness, loyalty, those sorts of traits. And then the last one is really important for this um, COVID experience, and that's neuroticism. Neuroticism is kind of how fearful are you that something bad's going to happen? And usually neuroticism is looked at kind of negatively because people are fearful or high anxiety. They're more neurotic. And some people would even say that neurosis means it's, it's not even based on reality anymore. So we discount that. But I want to make another argument here. A mothering instinct, a mom that wants to make sure that her children don't get hurt and takes care of them. Now we can go too far with that, but that is a form of neuroticism that's very valuable for society, right? Taking care of others. So neuroticism isn't always bad. And again, it's a spectrum. Very neurotic or very low in neuroticism. Okay, so where does all my... My personal personality, people have tried to put me in a lot of boxes on (laughs) this show so far, I'm sure. 
But my personality is that I'm high to openness. I like to try new things. I think we should be exploring all the options. Does that sound familiar? Um, I'm very, very conscientious. I care about the numbers. I want to have the facts. Well, that's what I've been saying for the whole show, right? Extroversion. I'm kind of middle. Sometimes I get jazzed by being in the crowd and sometimes I'm not, you know? Um, agreeableness. I'm very high in agreeableness. I want people to work together and get along. I want to make everyone feel good. That's just the way I am. Now, people could say that's bad, right? There are a lot of re ways that that can be a bad thing. And then the last one, neuroticism. I'm so low in neuroticism, it's ridiculous. I just, I have almost no fear. <laughs> so there you go. That's me. But the question then is for the, the viewers, the listeners, who are you? And how did this impact your response to COVID? And this matters so much. And I could spend two hours on this and I won't. But just a couple of examples. Um, the lockdowns happened. When I found out that we were locked down, we were at the stay-at-home order. I know people are going to be mad at me, but within 15 minutes, I was outside walking around my neighborhood because I was like, no way are they doing this to me, <laughs> right? Well, I'm kind of an extrovert. I'm very open. I like to try new things. I have no fear. So, of course, I'm like, how dare they tell me what I can do and what I can't do? Okay, now let's say that someone else is an introvert. And they're like, I don't have to go to work. I can stay home. Oh my, this is going to be heaven. I can just for a little while have some peace and quiet. I'll be able to focus and get things done. I've been wanting them to allow telecommuting at my company for years. This is the greatest thing that ever happened, right? I am so jazzed about why, because they're introverted, right? Okay. What about neuroticism? I'm like, I don't care if someone gives me COVID. That's fine. I'll get through it. Let's move on, right? That was me. But what about someone who's like, COVID kills people? I want to make sure that everyone is safe. And here's something very interesting. People that lean a little bit more toward the high neuroticism look for others to take care of them more. It seems to be. I mean, it could go different ways. But they're more likely to say the government did the right thing there. Man, we need to practice caution because we don't know how this thing could blow up if we didn't. Now, when I talk about these personality traits, these are not things you adopt or you decide on, right? These personality traits, whether by nurture or nature, they're a part of our core identity. And whether we realize it or not, we interact and function in the world based on these. So when, when people got irate, because of the lockdowns. Those probably were not the high neurotic introverts. Right? Right. Those were the extroverts and the people that were open to experiences and very low in neuroticism. So why does this matter? We, we bang heads. Let's go back to the mask issue, God forbid, just a little bit. It was the same thing. Someone, like we mentioned, that is more fearful thinks, let's do every possible thing we can. And if, that, if I can wear a mask and it could help me or somebody else, then let's do it. Let's make everybody do it, right? But other people are like, I'm an extrovert. I want people to see my face and I want to see their face and I want to see their smile. I want to be able to communicate. I want to know their nonverbal communication. I'll cover my mouth. Matter of fact, you know, I could do all sorts of things besides putting on this mask. But you tell me to put on a mask, you just, you just enslaved me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. These are personality types. Why do I bring it up? I want people to get along because I'm high in agreeableness. I want everyone to understand 
there are different perspectives. And we could argue all day that, you know, this one's more valid than that one, blah, blah, blah. The beauty of it is if we have those conversations, we might actually come to the best middle ground response. Mm -hmm. And I just want people to be considerate of how other people think. I totally understand when I, when I let people know that I wasn't into the masking, some people get irate. I, I almost lost friends over this. Matter of fact, for a season, I did. And the reason is because they really felt like it was the one thing they could do to make a difference. They believed in it, and how dare I head in any other direction, right? And I get it. That's a personality trait, and it's not wrong. It's different. <laughs> and by having these conversations we really might come to the best possible outcomes. The courses of action that we need to take, Todd, come out of these sorts of conversations, not out of propaganda by the media who's trying to convince us of something for wrong or right, not out of putting a mask on to actually get compliance with the other health orders, right? The, I felt like that was what went wrong with COVID-19. I... I I can't argue with anything that you're saying. And I actually think it's so important to our preparedness mindset, because I know that we've been talking about all of this encased in COVID in this last year that, that we've been in, but I think it's so important moving forward as um, society, being able to have conversations, being able to understand each other. It's going to be very important for, those that are preparedness minded moving forward. You know, one of the things we always talk about is if things were to go south, then we might have to tap into our neighbors and our community and, and, you know, to, to help survive and, and whatever, you know, in a, in a crisis situation Yeah, and being able to see things this way, being able to think through this process is very valuable. And again, those people that, like you were saying, are like, no, I want it my way or, you know, I'm, I have to do it this way, but not being able to come back. Because I know people like that, right? And just like you mentioned, there's people out there that are like, no one's going to tell me what to do. No one's going to. But being able to have that conversation and say, okay, where can we come to some middle ground? I think that's going to be important. So, again, I keep going back. I know I know that we were talking about this all in the the context of COVID, but these are really important life skills and the ability to think things through, to be able to have those relationships and be able to um, value other people, even in the midst of a crisis, right? And so I, I think this is so, so important, so valuable, and I appreciate you bringing all of this up. Uh, you, I know that you've mentioned some things in, in the past in, in our conversations, about ultimately it's about people and loving other people and being kind. Yeah. And, and, and do you want to, you want to finish out with some thoughts there? I know that's not something that we probably discussed talking about, but um, any thoughts there before, you know, as we close out? Well, I think that our greatest asset in any crisis or non-crisis, it doesn't matter, but the greatest asset is love. And I I've said that, for many, many years, it's how we survive things. I mean, if there's some sort of a crisis in a family that can't love, it just multiplies the trouble so much. And, and the same 
crisis and a loving family that can support each other. Wow. You can weather it so much better. Um, love means caring for other people, but it's not the easy road. It's not some Pollyanna easy way of doing things, Todd. Learning to love, um, it means a lot of self-sacrifice sometimes. It means doing the right thing even when that's the hard thing. Um, I really, I, I did put out one more episode maybe a month ago about this subject on weathering coronavirus because I just felt so strongly about it. And it was that it's not by pointing and blaming the other side, you know, it's not by becoming militant in our views, getting divided in these dichotomies that I said, I hate, <laughs> right? That doesn't help us. What helps us is when people with contrasting ideas come together and explore together to find the best solutions. And that's an act of love. And it takes more maturity and it takes a real intention and purpose. You know, I, I once said how important it was to get to know your neighbors in case there was a crisis that came our way. And at the time, I, I made the statement, you may not like them, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> you got to learn how to get along. You're going to need each other. I believe that the most important thing, Todd, that anyone can do to prepare is to have a community of people that learn how to get through tough times together. They learn how to work together even when they twerk each other off. <laughs> and until we're mature enough to be able to do that, we got to quit playing politics. I, I started at the beginning by talking about how trying to put people in left versus right boxes is bigotry. Whoa, is that allowed to be said in the United States these days? I mean, the last president that I know that was elected because he was considered a moderate was Bill Clinton. How long ago was that? This left-right paradigm is being used to manipulate people for political reasons, and it was used to manipulate people for COVID. Love does the opposite of that. Love says, there are solutions that may not be left or right, and we don't have to put everybody in a camp. We need to come together and figure out the best things that we can do together so that we can better survive these things. Maybe we could get through something like COVID without the economic fallout. Maybe we could get through something like COVID without people dying in such great numbers, you know, because we had a better path. The path that we took was to save lives, supposedly, but maybe we could have done better by doing less. I'm not sure. We don't have that control group. But I know that working together and learning to love each other, even when you disagree, okay, tolerating each other is not agreement. <laughs> it's saying, okay, I respect your opinion. I disagree with you. And I'm doing that in love. And we can do that. We can embrace our brothers and our sisters. And we can move forward and be much more powerful. And... uh I really believe that, that that's the answer. We've got to stop the polarization in our society. We've got to. And that doesn't mean we have to think the other side is right. Right? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we need to come together and find great solutions. Um, because anything else, you know, that finger pointing and the hate and that kind of stuff is the demise of a society. It just leads you down a road toward greater problems, right? I mean, we saw this with the rioting over the last year as well. Um, it, it's not an answer. And I really, really want to get back to 
a world where people value thinking over political ideology. And that's an act of love. So I don't know if that's where you wanted me to go with that, but for what it's worth, those are my two cents. No, I think it's very well said. And uh, it's definitely something that we can all work and hopefully do our part in um, and uh, moving forward. Kurt, you've uh, shared a lot of information with us, a lot of good stuff, um, trying to help us process some of this COVID stuff, but also helping us to, or encouraging us to think, think through these things. How can people get in touch with you if they want to uh, connect with you online? You can send all the hate mail <laughs> to clinville at poddivy.com. So that's C-L-I-N-V-I-L-L-E, clinville. Poddivy is P-O-D-D-I-V-V-Y. So poddivy.com, which is my company, by the way. So if you want to talk to me about podcast advertising, I'm your man. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can reach me there. Sounds good. And then your, uh, the name of your podcast on COVID again, what was that, the name of it specifically? Well, it, I'm going to say it was, it's still up, but I, it really is pod faded because I don't put much content up there. It's weathering coronavirus updates and hope. And there is a lot of encouraging information in there. Some of the episodes more so than others, but the whole goal was to give people reason for hope and information to make wise decisions and a lot of that content is timeless. It doesn't matter if you're in the middle of COVID or not, right? So maybe someone will uh, find some value with that. So, and, and maybe you'll start it up when we get to the next crisis, whenever that is. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, go ahead. Go ahead. Thanks. Um, I don't want to open up a new can of worms, but everybody support independent media, make sure that podcasters have a voice, promote ideas and podcasts that are getting information out that are valuable for people. Uh, we really, really need independent media right now as exampled by the fact that weathering coronavirus never got a chance because I wasn't on the approved list. So I'm just saying it never went anywhere for that one reason, Todd. That was so. You know, that's one of the things that I've tried to do with Prepper website is promote those websites and um, lesser known websites. Because I know what it's like to start a, a website and not get any traction. And everybody tells you, you got to do the social media thing and you got to get out there and get in front of other people. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I'm not one for big tech right now. So it's, it's really hard to get noticed if you feel like you have something powerful to say, something that can help other people. So we really try to do that at Prepper website and even, uh, even with the podcast, uh, some stuff like that. So if you are out there listening to this and you have a, a, a smaller podcast or you, know, you want to get some attention to it or uh, a, a website, just hit me up. You know, we'd love to, to get it out there. I think that's, that's really important. But uh, with that, Kurt, I want to just say thank you so much for coming on, spending, uh, you know, a, a good chunk of time here on this, uh, on this episode, sharing with us your, your views. And uh, again, the whole concept of making sure that we think through things and uh, that we're able to uh, uh, walk in love. I think that's very powerful. Thanks so mm -hmm. much. It's been my honor, Todd, and thank you so much. It's been fun.
Definitely. God bless. Take care. Well, once again, thank you so much, Kurt, for coming on to the podcast. Hey, guys, I know that this was a long one. And if you sat through it all, I hope it stretched you to the value of the ability to process and think through the situations that we go through. I believe it is a valuable skill for everyone facing the emergency situations of the future because I don't think we are past all the chaos. I think there will be more. And if people are stressed now and people are worried now and people are anxious now, it's just going to get worse. So being able to process and think through and understand what is going on, what is truly going on, and then what that means for you. I think that's going to be very, very important moving forward. And so like I mentioned in the interview, I'm going to link to Kurt's sites and his podcasts, and I hope you take a moment to check them out. Well, everyone, that's it for episode 696. Hey, if you are looking for other ways to connect, and so one of the things that I'm kind of done with social media, I still use it to just promote things. But one thing that I've done is started posting on Buy Me Coffee. So that is a way that you can support creators that are out there. But it's also a way and a place that I am sharing personal stuff. So personal preparedness information, maybe uh, things about faith and just having a good time. That's really where I'm going to be posting a lot of stuff. And so I'll talk a little bit about that later on. There's other stuff there, but you can go check that out. There is a link to buy me coffee. So um, if you're interested in going over there, popping over there. Hey, if you are listening and you have never subscribed to the show, make sure you click that subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. And that way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And don't forget, if you're looking for more preparedness and self-reliant information, head on over to PrepperWebsite.com. We link to 8 to 12 articles every day of the very best self-reliant articles out there. We also have pages dedicated to alternative news, firearms, DIY, Bible prophecy, frugal living, and homesteading. And lastly, don't forget to join the email list if you haven't. When you do, I'm going to send you a free PDF on 25 hand-picked preparedness articles that you should read. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next time, live with no regrets and stay prepped and aware. Peace.